Pippin gazed in growing wonder at the great stone city, vaster and more splendid than anything he had dreamed of, greater and stronger than Isengard, and far more beautiful. Yet it was in truth falling year by year into decay, and already it lacked half the men that could have dwelt at ease there. In every street they passed some great house or court over whose doors and arched gates were carved many fair letters of strange and ancient shapes, names Pippin guessed of great men and kindreds that had once dwelt there, and yet now they were silent, and no footsteps rang on their wide pavements, nor voice was heard in their halls, nor any face looked out from door or empty window. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. My name is Josh Rice. I'm one of the co-hosts, and with me again is my brother Jake. Say hey. Hey, co-co-host. Co-co. <laughs> today, today we start um, book five. And for those of you who don't like the uh, six-book division, we're starting The Return of the King uh, with the chapter that's called Minas Tirith. I don't know if it's the longest chapter. It's one of the longest chapters. It's it's way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, we've got our work cut out for us, and that means I need economy of words right here. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Jake, to, to do the thing and tell us what happens in this chapter. All right. So what happens? Um, Gandalf and, and Pippin... Uh, ride through the night and come into uh, into Gondor and further in, uh, specifically to the city of Minas Tirith. Um, and quick aside, I always said Minas Tirith and Minas Morgul until the movies. Hmm. And then I got you confused. Minas. What? I've never looked up the... The... Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I probably, I probably go interchangeably. <laughs> I think I have when we've been doing this, but um, it kind of came to a head since the title is called Minus Tear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, all right. Sorry about that, everyone. Uh, <laughs> the uh, so Pippin and and Gandalf come into Minus Tirith. Um, they're immediately taken to uh, the seat of the king. Um, the throne of the king is empty, but the seat. Uh, beside the king is the seat of the steward uh, occupied by Denethor, the son of Ecthelion, and he's the steward and lord of Gondor in the absence of the king. And so um, there's uh, basically um, Denethor's grieving the loss of Boromir, to which um, Pippin gives an account under the questioning of Denethor. Um, Pippin uh, actually gives himself in service to Gondor as a as a soldier under the steward, um, and then they're released in uh, after conversation which involved Denethor, Gandalf, and Pippin. Um, but they're released out. Uh, Pippin is greeted by a new character named Baragond, who's a guard of the city. Gandalf goes back to a council of the captains uh, that meet with. Um, Denethor, so we're left with Pippin for a while, and he engages with some men, um, and and then meets the son of Baragon as well, Burgil, um, and spends some time with him as well, and then uh, and essentially um, Pippin goes back to bed, and he has one last very small conversation with Gandalf before the chapter closes. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's good. That was yeah. a lot of pages done pretty quickly there. <laughs> so, right. My hat's off to you on that uh, one. <laughs> right. I could have spent a little more time on the uh, fifth wall of you know of the city um, and its relationship to the river and the mountain, but I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah, there, this there one is one of that. those cha- there, this chapter has a lot of time that's spent on geography and and i think that's mm-hmm. one of those things that probably gets us into our breakdown yeah right and so yeah. i'll let you do that too because you yeah. had the plan yeah so we'll do that and then yeah and then i'll i'll kick it back so basically kind of what we see is we see the breakdown as sort of this two end shots where you have the entry and like kind of an assessment of what Minas Tirith is, how it came about, its history. Um, We get some architecture, and I think there's some interesting things to talk about with that. Um, And then we zoom in to this very close, huddled uh, conversation with Denethor, Pippin, and Gandalf. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we zoom back out, and we really get, because of the characters of Baragon and Burgil, and some, like, a few other little pieces that we kind of zoom out. And now it's like, what does Gondor look like now? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the way we want to structure this is to talk about Gondor um, and particularly Minas Tirith, like kind of both Gondor and Minas Tirith, the city that was and the city that is now. Um, mm. And and then we want to talk about the three characters specifically, about what, what do we learn about Gandalf, what we learn about Denethor, and what we learn about Pippin in this chapter. Yeah. So it, we were, we were both on the case pretty quickly about, you know, seeing some parallels to the West, like in the real world with Gondor. And the, the big thing that, I mean, you'd have to be dense to miss it is that because he says explicitly that it is a decaying city, right? That there's a, that there's this idea that this thing had been so great and so powerful, and it has these monuments. You know, at one point it says it wasn't like anyone built it. It was like it was carved by giants out of the earth. Mm-hmm. Like this this skill and craftsmanship that we've seen before with the Argonoth, and we saw it with, with uh, you know, Amon Hin with the Seat of Seeing, and we've seen it with the Road to the Crossroads. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's this, there's this amazing past of beautiful architecture and kind of magic where you know these things retain this glory yeah but at the same time it's it's not in its flower it's it's not full of life there's all kinds of symbolism about silence and empty vacancy and Mm -hmm. and all this stuff but i think what i wanted to do first is kind of talk build up the power of gondor because there's a lot to talk about you can get you can get sidetracked just like you can on the west in real life and, and talk about only the bad things, bring it down. But I think that there's still a lot of power here. And one of the things that we see immediately is that, and we see it at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter, that unlike the other civilizations that we've come into, is that Gondor Gondor is a wide-reaching state that has vassals all over the place. So there's there's all kinds of people groups that are all under one flag, Mm -hmm. right? And so Gondor is this is a vast civilization that has all kinds of power in it. Unlike, you know, unlike Lonely Mountain, which is a colony of dwarves, unlike Mm -hmm. Lorien, which is an isolated Mm -hmm. woods full of elves, unlike Rohan, which is basically the Rohirrim. That's Mm -hmm. the only people there. Right. Right. Gondor has all kinds of people. 
yeah. they're all under this one flag. And I, and and so that recalls a lot of probably Tolkien's Europe, UK. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let's say they, you... the sun never set on the British Empire. Right. You know, that sort of thing. Right. Would you call it the GGE, the uh, <laughs> Global Gondorian Empire? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And and we are we are brought really fully into the civilization, like the heart of the civilization of man mm-hmm. in Middle Earth, and and we see kind of what they've got. Right. Man. Man has this, you know, this architectural beauty. It's not it, like it's going with nature and it looks like the things were carved out of the earth, but it's yeah. not trees per se. Like yeah. right, men have constructed and they've right. they formed and they're and they have power and wisdom, right? And they build mm-hmm. big things and they, you know this yeah. this great society. It and, right. and Gandalf says at one point that, you know, if Gondor falls, there is no refuge any in the Shire, which is right. the furthest place away from Mordor, right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you don't get further away than the Shire, right? And Gondor's the only thing that's holding it back from the rest of the world. Yeah, no, I think it. I think it's important to point out that, right? Great men uh, and great civilizations build great things, and mm-hmm. and that their reach is far. Like it's it's no question that this is the greatest civilization of you know of mankind in Middle Earth. Uh, and their reach is far, and even right, even to the sense like Rohan uh, are their own people, but they're mm-hmm. like they are in a sense like they respond to the call of Gondor, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think, and I was thinking about that in the sense of you know, n- not that Gondor is necessarily looking to conquer all the surrounding lands, um, but I think you could see like may like I was kind of thinking of it in terms of the the beauty the beautiful things that have been built in you're right in the great civilizations like look like rome was a great civilization and there mm. were you know amazing things that were built un, under that great civilization with technology far beneath what we have today mm-hmm. you know um beautiful things and i think across a lot of europe as uh, truthfully as christendom rose and um, as it moved westward into into France, into Spain, uh, into Germany, in and and into England, like great things are built. Like there's, you know, we went to we went to England um, several years ago, and you know you ride around and it's like just things that are still standing that are hundreds of years old and still in mm-hmm. use and really beautiful and really functional. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, also a part of the land and the civilization, right? It's not just a building for the sake of a building; it is also a pillar of the community mm-hmm. um, of what's going on around it. And I think that's like that's what Gondor is. Like Gondor is this center of, uh, or sorry, minus Tirith is the center of Gondor's community. Um, it's the greatest city in a you know in a land of great cities. Mm-hmm. But but even in the midst of that, I think. Tolkien talks about the decay and decline in the sense that more and more of the people of Gondor have moved into the city of Minas Tirith, which right. has lessened its glory. Right? right. That that what it was was the the it was you know the city of the sun. It was Minas Anor and the Tower of the Sun, and it, and they had you know the city of the stars at Osgiliath, and and what was happening was the civilization was 
there was farmers, there were craftsmen that yeah. were coming and bringing their wares into these trade centers, and wisdom was, you know, proliferating inside these beautiful cities. Mm-hmm. But you know, the heart the heart of the country might have been that artistic expression there, but the but the arteries of it and the work of it was always being done, you know, by by all those people that were banded together that were mm-hmm. a people they have a culture right and their culture was western s or mm-hmm. you know the the new minorians and as they've lost their culture mm-hmm. they've started to decline and now they are you know it's it's striking like in a, in a lot of ways they're they're just a military power now and they're mm-hmm. a fierce military power that has memories and relics of greater days where they were where they were heralded for their wisdom and their and their artistry but now now they are just the militaristic bulwark. the The tower of the sun is now the tower of the guard minus Tirith, and that's a much lesser thing, right? No more, no more celestial, you know, governance. Now it's a steward. They've lost their king, right? So in some ways, when you lose your king, you're going to lose your culture because there's right. there's nothing left to hold it together, and and it and what it is is this slow unraveling, and I think that's the that's the melancholy of the Lord of the Rings. And and one of the things that makes it so sticky, right. Is that Mm -hmm. we know the people of Gondor don't know, but when they start to get rumor of it, the excitement starts to run through the streets because what we know is that a King is on his way. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, we also know what kind of King he is because Mm -hmm. we've, we've seen him and really in book five, we're going to really see him, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're going (laughs) to, because what's going to happen is, all the glimpses and the tantalizing moments we've had of Aragorn's greatness are going to swing into full focus where we see what he's willing to sacrifice, the pain that he's willing to go to and how he's going to come into his own and what kind of man he really is. Mm-hmm. And before we get there though, we, we see the society and we see the kingdom that he comes to save. And there's, there's a reason to save it mm-hmm. because it is beautiful and it is, it is marvelous. And it is, it is a thing that has held the enemy at bay for centuries, almost to the extent, you know, there's, there's a thing that stuck out that Gandalf is talking to Pippin and he says, they, they have these beacons, right? They're in the movies. And that's, I think that's one of the better scenes like that in adaptation where, you know, there's a stirring music shore score is just absolutely incredible on, you know, the lighting of the beacons to signal all their allies that mm-hmm. Gondor's at war. But in this, in this chapter, Gandalf says, it's been a long time. It's been long since the beacons of the North were lit. And in the ancient days of Gondor, they were not needed for they had the seven stones. So basically they've fallen right. in magic. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've fallen in their, in their power to instantly send messages to all of their, all of their spots all mm-hmm. over the world. Mm-hmm. But they've also been strong enough to where they've been in basically constant engagement with Mordor, but they haven't had to call for aid for the North for a long time because mm-hmm. they are quite militaristically strong. Mm-hmm. And Sauron has not felt like he, up until now, he's not felt like he had the ability or the forces to be able to make a dent mm-hmm. in Minas Tirith. And now he deems the time ripe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, yeah. Are, and there are several reasons for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And some of which we've already kind of discussed. No, no, I think that's, that's really good. I think there was a couple other things too, before maybe going to the, like mm-hmm. the, the, the city that was, I think too, I noticed like things like the architecture where he, so Pippin walks into the hall of Denethor 
and mm. he sees monoliths of black marble. They rose to great capitals carved in many strange figures of beasts and leaves, and far above in shadow the wide vaulting gleamed with dull gold, inset with flowering traceries of many colors. No hangings, nor storied webs, nor any things of woven stuff or of wood were to be seen in that long, solemn hall. Mm. And I kind of noted that because, too, it's like I think there's this element of there's a coldness to stone. Obviously, the um, obviously the craftsmanship is greater um, and more renowned than what we see. But I kind of thought of it in terms of Rohan. When they walk into Metaseld, right, you see mm-hmm. tapestries and banners. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that there's the longevity of it, right? It's like it takes much longer to carve the statue of a fallen king than to weave the tapestry of the king. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah, Rohan's a few hundred years old as mm-hmm. a civilization. Gondor is thousands of years old. Right. And so you see, I think, and you see, I think, just in just in that, in the architecture, you see the glory and the beauty, but there's also, there is, there's a difference. There is a coldness to its writ, to its history. And it is a proud, like, it's a, it's, they are greater men, but I think that, I think that, I want to say proudness instead of pride, because I'm trying mm-hmm. to communicate something differently, mm-hmm. is that that proudness results itself in a colder but more meticulous architecture. Mm-hmm. And I think we do see that with their, with their leader, too, and mm-hmm. also their men-at-arms mm-hmm. that we see. Like, there is a, there is a lot of restraint in the men-at-arms. There's a, there's there's this regimented like they have like Tolkien goes to great lengths to talk about like they have this hour they come on Mm -hmm. right they're men they're men at arms they have a duty that's on a cycle they're not they're not being called in because you know Isengard's invaded they are militaristic and they're doing this every day it's Mm -hmm. it in a lot of ways Menas Tirith is operating kind of like a military base yeah you know where they have soldiers who are constantly on and off duty and just working all the time. They have full-time soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. be, that's because they're right in the shadow, but that's also because that's what's happened, right? Mm-hmm. Is they, they are on the wane. And so they have to be more militaristic because right. they've lost that cultural sway. And there's yeah. a lot of reasons why they have the, mm-hmm. the main one is that they don't have children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's the right, a good transition into the, what, what minus Tirith is now. And, you know, I think that first element, and we, we learn much from Baragond uh, of what's going on in the city. But I think the first thing is you do see you do see a culture that's, right, that at first they are, what's happening in the chapter is they're sending, they're, el- they're sending vanguards of elderly and women out of the city. So mm-hmm. there's still, there's still um, a valiant, right, uh, nature to what's happening here, right? They're getting mm-hmm. their weakest people out of a the storm that they know is coming, right. right? They've lit the beacons, and so they're calling for help because the war is on the doorstep and they know it. Mm-hmm. But in their preparations, they're also protecting their people by sending them out. And so, like, you, the first thing I think you see is that they're not just, right, they're not a grotesque people. <laughs> no. You know? Um, so yeah, what, do you have anything you want to touch on with that? Yeah, I think, I think that that's where we see, you know, there's obviously shades of, of a time that, that we probably pined for as Americans and that Tolkien probably pined for as a, 
as an Englishman that there's there's this dignity that's been ingrained from the past where they do have chivalry. They are it is men defending the front. Men are right there where the attack's going to come, and they're and they're getting the others out. But also they, you know, they still they still laugh. They show still show hospitality like Pippin. Mm-hmm. Pippin's really taken in with open arms and they, they want to hear his story and they, they revere his experience and his, his world traveling. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they come and they cheer for the people coming in, mm-hmm. right. That they, they are a people united. And I, I think a lot of that comes from, <laughs> unlike us, they've, they've still really got this connection. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the white tree Mm-hmm. Is really almost the central part of this, like what's going on in Gondor. Is there's this juxtaposition of the tree, like it's their biggest symbol, right? It's yep. etched on the guard of the king. Yep. And and so even the on white the white tree, mm-hmm. that's right. the The white tree is the symbol of their flower and their kingdom. But the white tree is dead. But if you imagine, and I think the I think the movie did a good job with how they depicted the white tree. That was probably from Alan Lee or John Noble. Mm-hmm. You know who are writing and, and illustrating straight out of the books. So mm. what, what they have is you have a perfectly manicured, you know, lawn with, you know, beautiful stark white marbles pavement. Mm-hmm. And then you have this dead tree yeah. in it and it strike it strikes Pippin, you know, Pippin's wondering like, why are they keeping that dead tree? Pippin doesn't mm. know the, the culture of Gondor, but, right. but Gondorians know that our power comes from holding to this, you know, to what made us us, right? And and it is this, you know, their their first king was Elros, you know, yep. Elrond's brother, and they were a long lived people that that lived in in Numenor, and they, you know, many of them came across to Middle Earth, and they were explorers and seafarers, and you know, men of song and artistry and and all this stuff. And, and so they hold to the white tree because they don't want to let go of that. And so even they're de- even though it's dead, they still hold to it with reverence and they have manpower mm-hmm. that's manicuring and landscaping around it because mm-hmm. they're holding the place. Mm-hmm. And that's the story, right? right? The return of the King. The story mm-hmm. is that this white tree is connected to the King, right? It's preserved for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even with even with a guard about it, wearing regalia from the beginning of civilization that no one else wears, right? Mm-hmm. The beginning of their uh you know, of their culture, I should say. Right. And it and he goes to links to say, right, that their their helms were a strange shape, that they fitted differently, right? These are ancient. Um, but but they're hearkening us back to the beginning of the king. Mm-hmm. Um, and and their protection of the tree as a symbol, uh, as mm-hmm. you know, as the icon, as it were, of you know, of a great kingdom. Yeah. So they're they're a people. It's it's their their thing. Seven stars, seven stones, and one white tree. That you know mm-hmm. the seven the seven stars speaking to their you know their history as as people of the sea who navigated as as people who acknowledged basically the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. Right, that 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 was their their culture is that they they were given they were given this place out of a high birth mm-hmm. of Elros, you know, and and then the seven stones which showed their ability of communication and their ability at at, at fast, you know, counsel and being connected as a kingdom, 
mm-hmm. you know, and then of course all bound together mm-hmm. with the king, and and so goes the king, so goes the kingdom. Yeah, and and what's happened is now they've had they've had centuries under a steward, mm-hmm. right? And the steward, yeah. the the line of the steward has been a stabilizing force to try to hold this thing together, right? But it's it's now, you know, it's it's rapidly accelerating into further decay, mm-hmm. you know, as right. as it goes. Yeah. No, and I I had a an interesting thought maybe to to pull on for a minute is. It's, it's an interesting thing that I think maybe tying the death of civil, like the first pains of the de- degrading civilization is the the destruction of the birth rate. Mm. You know, because like basically we like Baragon laments the fact that there aren't children, you know, running around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he has one child um, that we know of. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember from later if there's more, but, um, but you know, I think, so I think about that and you just think about what, like that children kind of like what they ought to do, right. Is they, they bring joy to home. They bring discipline to a home, right. Which all of these things, things that happen in the home are what bleed out into civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, right. I, I think. They, they attach your heart to something, right? To like, there's a, there's a core there. Like there's essentially like the white tree. That's the core symbol of the city. It's like the home is tied to the children of the home. Otherwise there's no reason to be in a place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was just kind of thinking through that as far as like poking at like civilizations start to decline when they stop revering children, right? There's joy that comes from that. Like, Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of yeah, it to is poke interesting. Yeah, it's interesting as a as a spoil like you know I mean everybody's seen it at this point. There's no spoilers for something that's been out this long. But as as we look ahead, you know, like part of the the renovation of Gondor is going to be these two marriages, right? Mm-hmm. That Aragorn is going to marry Arwen, and that Faramir is going to marry Eowyn. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the hope, right? There's this huge celebration, right? That, that with Arwen, that the night's going to be reclaimed, that Aragorn is going to, you know, he has the white tree and he's the king of the day, but with, through Arwen, he also is the king of the night, mm-hmm. you know, evil extinguished. Faramir is the steward fully bloomed who, you know, who has this, this, you know, shield maiden who falls under his kingly, you know, his kingly rule. And, and and I think the idea is that Gondor gets presented in this chapter is it feels really museum-like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. there's these, these gigantic, beautiful buildings and monuments and statues with like almost, almost like quiet pitter patter or silence. Mm-hmm. And what I think Tolkien is trying is, is doing here is saying like, Hey, if it's going to come back, like it's going to have to be feasting, and mm-hmm. children and mm-hmm. how much more will the beauty be seen when the king's when the king's message goes down every road and you know the farmer can live the farmer can live in abundance knowing that he doesn't have to um be afraid of the attack of orcs from mordor right and 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 that's what that's the tension right the tension in this section and and as we start to you know as we start to peel into what's going on with denethor Mm-hmm. Right, and we've seen the words of Boromir 
before where Boromir was always so concerned about the the attack on the city, right? Mm-hmm. That that Gondor must stand, right? And that it that Gondor needs her her warriors to be able to stand. And mm-hmm. Denethor is concerned about survival. If we want to pull Nate Wilson in, right? We got two we got Boromir and Denethor that are concerned with the survival of Gondor, while we have Aragorn and Faramir who are going to be concerned about restoring its its tremendous past into mm-hmm. a greater future. Because Faramir, upon you know, in the window on the west, he looks out, you know, and he he says that, you know, that I don't love the sword for its gleam, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. he would have minus Terra. He would have a Gondor as of old, yeah, right. With he with would, the beauty and the uh, artistry. Yeah, his desire was to rename the city back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and so yeah. he needs a king to do that, and I think Faramir understands that, and and Gondor's in this tension, right, where they, it's it's barely holding together, and I think Denethor and Boromir exemplify that that they can feel it, like it's barely holding together, mm-hmm. you know, the pressure, the pressure is starting to get it. They're losing ground in Ithilien, you know, it's no longer the Garden of Gondor, it's territory of the enemy. Osgiliath has been taken. Mm-hmm. But they're being hemmed in, and the enemy is growing. He's bringing more and more evil men from the south and the east under his banner, and he's finally, he thinks that he's hit the tipping point, so he's going to come out, mm-hmm. right? right? And he's going to test, he's going to test his forces against this, this tower of the guard, mm-hmm. and that's what this chapter we drop in here, and it's Gondor at war, and I think even you know it. It's Gandalf that uses the line in the movie, but it's not Gandalf that speaks it. Is that it's mm-hmm. Pippin, right? That it's I think it's Baragon. Baragon, because Pippin's talking about, you know, he says, "I can't stand being on the the edge, the of, edge this of thing. It. I wish it would mm-hmm. just happen." And yeah. Baragon, yeah, he says it's the it's the deep breath before the plunge, mm-hmm. because what he's trying to do is is him and Pippin are are encouraging each other back and forth, mm-hmm. and that that's the, you know, if you're if you're encapsulating the chapter of Minas Tirith, I think. What we've done so far is probably mm-hmm. about it. I think I think that's the point of the chapter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have interesting stuff to set up for later, and it's it's yeah. probably there, right? Is is to talk yep. about Gandalf and Denethor and Pippin, yeah? Because I I think those are what are setting up the future events, right? And they're all in this mix of what he's done with Gondor, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. we get a window into. The internal dealings. So I'll let it, it's it's your pleasure on which one you want to deal with oh. first. <laughs> let's uh, let's do the best first and <laughs> to go with Gandalf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if we go best to worst, right? Is that beats Pippin second, right? Yeah, probably so. Okay. Yeah. Gandalf. Yeah. Prophet. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I almost already repent of my rash words in the in the before <laughs> recap. <laughs> no, I I think I think what's happened is definitively my two favorite characters. I don't I don't, don't make me choose between them. It's it's definitely Gandalf and Frodo, mm-hmm. and and I think that there will be a dark horse for me that's coming in later in this book if I remember things right. Yeah. You know, as as we see the king, but but Gandalf here is he's the prophet, and mm-hmm. what he does is he comes in and we see as he as he rides into Gondor that. The Gondor is feeling hopeless. Mm-hmm. Their numbers that are coming in are less than what they had hoped. That you know he has full access to the city because there is still wisdom. That Gandalf's Gandalf, 
right? Yeah. And that he brings counsel. And mm-hmm. so what he is constantly saying is, hey, things are changing, but we need courage, right? Yeah. He says the Gondor you once knew is gone, yeah. but courage is the best weapon you have. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some interesting there's some interesting uh, tidbits. It's it, Gandalf really doesn't speak much in this mm-hmm. chapter. Um, and when he does, there's punch. But I think there's other things swirling around. I think the character things of when he rides into the city, um, there's a similar, I think there's a similar reaction to Gandalf as in Gondor as there is in, in Rohan, where I think there's this idea of when Gandalf brings tidings, there, you know, there's usually hardship to follow. Um, and Gandalf actually answers to that here in that, you know, he brings help because the help is needed, you know, but, but it also, I think, I think you kind of see that there's this, there is a, I think there's a gladness, um, or a peace that comes through the city as Gandalf rides through, Mm -hmm. um, even, even though they're, they know they're on the edge of war and that probably the reason that Gandalf is coming is because of that. (laughs) Um, but, but, uh, but they also, I think he, he gladdens the hearts of the men. It, it, It seems that way. It's because his name as it's kind of muttered through the streets is one of, of hope filled, Mm -hmm. you know, news. Right. And he, you know, Gandalf, his, his replies always seem to be kind of snappy and quick in this chapter. Mm -hmm. You know, like he, he stands up almost immediately for Faramir, who's he's, who he's described as um, the blood of Westerness, Mm -hmm. like running through him that, that in, in some ways that Denethor and Faramir are like representations of old Numenor. Yeah. They are, they are that Boromir was not Denethor in his grief says that because Boromir died, he says a truly awful thing. He's like, you know, I wish, I wish Faramir had gone. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf's like, you know, Gandalf says that's unjust. Don't be mm-hmm. unjust. Yeah. Um, Boromir would have, yeah, you know, Faramir would have gone, but Boromir wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he calls him a masterful man, mm-hmm. and and one to take what he desired. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a play <laughs> on words there, but yeah, but Gandalf, Gandalf just he sounds. I mean, he's he's a man that we are not used to in this day and age, because what he does is he basically uses no flowery language ever. Mm-hmm. He just cuts right to the heart of it every time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Pippin's like, what is Aragorn have to do with it? And Gandalf's like, what are you crazy? Like, did you, have you not listened to anything? He's the King. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and that's kind of his endearing thing. Cause, cause Gandalf, like, you know, Gandalf's going to run into in Denethor, like a, a person of, like comparable wisdom. He's kind of a foil mm-hmm. for Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so Gandalf is going to be on his guard here. He's really, he's careful because he has a job to do. Um, and I know in, yeah. instead of rambling about Gandalf, I know, I know <laughs> that you had a part that, that you wanted to draw attention to about stewardship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's, there's an interesting section um, that he kind of goes through. I'll try to uh, simplify. He, he basically says, um, your task is to keep the kingdom against that event, you know, when the king comes. He says, he says that the rule of, he rules no realm, right? He's not a king over anything. Um, and he kind of finishes it and says, for all, for I also am a steward to Denethor. He says, did you not know? 
Um, and then he turns and walks away from the meeting, you know, with Pippin. And so there's a question of, okay, so he, he claims himself as a steward, you know, and so you kind of have to start asking, like, what, what's the stewardship of, you know, we know that he holds a ring, um, you know, one of the three rings. So is that what he's referring to? Is he, you know, or is it something else? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a, I think there's a stewardship that's given to the holders of the three and, mm-hmm. and they're taken in different ways. Elrond and Galadriel are more similar in that what they've done is they've preserved a place, you know, in Lothlorien and Rivendell. But what Gandalf done has, and I think it goes to the elements, right, is that, you know, Elrond has the ring of water and, and Galadriel has the ring of adamant, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Gandalf has the ring of fire. And mm-hmm. so Gandalf's ring does like fire doesn't stay in one place, mm-hmm. right? Fire, fire moves. But I think the the danger. So so Gandalf can be dangerous in the sense of having a quicker temper, of being of being one that can can burn down, right? But what he does instead is that his fire is one that's more like a, a campfire that keeps warm, that warms hearts, mm-hmm. but also um, a fire that sh- shows vigilance, right? That he illuminates. And that, that he uses his fire to help people survive and to illuminate what's going on and to get mm-hmm. to the truth. And I think it's a like a pretty easy allusion to the Holy Spirit because a lot of a lot of what Gandalf does in the in the story is very Holy Spirit like, where mm-hmm. he he encourages, he illuminates the truth, he he moves through, and and also that he's this he's this contradiction where the elves the elves are stoic. You know, and and men are concerned with the lives right now. That that Gandalf is actually a fountain of laughter and mirth within mm-hmm. that bubbles out. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Gandalf, I, I so so what what's the task is? Denethor is given the task of stewarding this great civilization and keeping it for the king. Right. And Gandalf, Gandalf is in charge of fighting against the enemy so that he can steward the world. Mm-hmm. But he has no throne, and he never wanted a throne. Mm-hmm. He didn't do what Saruman did. Saruman had the same kind of task, and what Saruman did was try to build a mm-hmm. castle right. and learn everything. Where Gandalf has the Ring of Fire, where he goes out, yeah, and yeah, and doesn't is, is to protect. Yeah. Right, I think it is like it's twofold. I think it's it's to it's to protect, and I think fire is a is a great. Um, I think is a great image of, of what it can do because it's powerful in its danger and is as, as a protection. Cause like his, his task is to protect the good peoples from the darkness that seeks to press in. Um, but it's also to, you know, I think it's also to burn away the foolishness of the hearts of men. And mm-hmm. I think we see that pretty explicitly with Theoden that mm-hmm. right he brings his fire into the king's hall and i think and burns away the deception and burns mm-hmm. away the grief um that that theoden's dwelling in me you know meanwhile <clears throat> denethor is kind of in a similar situation where you know he's sitting in grief and i think um while he's not in this nearly the same state as theoden um that he right like he's he's still he's of sound mind and he's shrewd in what he's doing um 
but he's also he uses his grief for his own advantage um, to try to question Pippin. Um, and I know we'll get into that a little more, but I think even we just see it is that Gandalf just never lets anything slide. Mm-hmm. You know, like Denethor makes a claim of right, don't let an old man's folly. Uh, uh, what does he say? R- run off and you mm-hmm. know let your ra- don't let your wrath come on an old man's folly. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf he's kind of disarming, right? Uh huh. And and Gandalf says folly with a, you know as a question. Nay, my lord, when you are a dotard, you will die. You can use your grief as a cloak, right? Gandalf mm-hmm. knows that that Denethor is still sharp in his mind, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that he's used his grief as a cloak to gain information from mm-hmm. Pippin. Yep. And I, in in summing up, I think that Gandalf Gandalf has done a lot of the work. He's he's very quiet and he notably he trusts Pippin. Mm-hmm. Right? He he doesn't break in. He lets Pippin answer the questions and Pippin is really worried because Pippin's sitting here while these two vastly mm-hmm. powerful men are like staring daggers at each other. Right. And having this obvious like battle of wills thing going on. And then when Pippin leaves, this is my favorite part of the chapter. When, when, when Pippin leaves, he's, he asks Gandalf, he says, are you angry with me? Um, I did the best I could. And I love this paragraph. It says, you did indeed, said Gandalf laughing suddenly. And he came and stood beside Pippin, putting his arm about the hobbit's shoulders and gazing out of the window. Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own, for the sound of that laugh had been gay and merry, yet in the wizard's face he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow, though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it mm-hmm. to gush forth. Mm. That yeah. That is the warrior that I aspire to be. Mm-hmm. The, the one that tells the truth that's fearless but is a fountain of mirth that Mm -hmm. you want to be with this man because he is full of joy and laughter right even though he has all these cares right right? yeah one and it's the same right it's the same man who just challenged the steward on Mm -hmm. his right and like look it's really easy to let denethor Right, say, don't let your wrath fall on an old man's folly, right? Mm-hmm. As a disarming go, yeah, okay. But mm-hmm. but Gandalf can't let that go because because he like he you know, I kinda saw it as right, as the fire that he's constantly burning the dross away mm-hmm. on every mm-hmm. character that he encounters. Like he never yep. lets he never lets Aragorn, you know, doubt unjustly. He mm-hmm. never lets right or untruthfully he doesn't let Theoden sit in his misery under the deceptions of Wormtongue. He doesn't right. even let he doesn't even let Denethor make a joke <laughs> about right. <laughs> about right about his tactics in mm-hmm. this conversation. Yeah. Right. To disarm. Because that's what the point is. Like the point is for Denethor to disarm. And Gandalf saying, I know what you're doing. And I let it happen. <laughs> well, and you look what happened is that Denethor, Denethor tried to pry information out of Pippin by using shrewd questioning. And what, what Gandalf does is with this this one motion, he puts his arm around him mm-hmm. and he he tells him, like, you did a great job. And mm-hmm. he's this this bubbling, 
fountain of joy, that's that's a man that people will listen to and that they'll mm-hmm. fight for. Right. And I think that's what that's what Gandalf has in the story is that that he's a man that like in a lot of ways he's like William Wallace, right? Like people people want to follow him right. mm-hmm. because it's fun to follow him. Even mm-hmm. though you're going to get in a fight and even though, you know, it's going to be dangerous. Like I wonder if Pippin thinks back with exhilaration of, you know, the wolves howling mm-hmm. when Gandalf just lit him up. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's because, <laughs> yeah. because he's going to, it comes back, you know, with Baragond when there's despair because Pippin looks out at Mordor and sees the darkness yeah. And then he looks at Minas Tirith and he's like, Oh man. And Baragon's like, I think, I think we'll fall. And Pippin's like, Yeah, but Gandalf's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I've seen Gandalf go toe to toe with the Balrog mm-hmm. and he's here, you know, mm-hmm. and I've seen Gandalf, you know, go against a pack of wolves, mm-hmm. you know, out in the wilderness. Yeah. Like, and, and he's here. And I think that's the kind of guy he is, is that he inspires his confidence because he is just joyful. Because yeah. to Gandalf, it doesn't. He's kind of like he's like Frodo in that way. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter what the ends are. He has a job and he has to do it. Yeah. And and so he's going to do it resolutely. And I yeah. love that about him. That's yeah. probably why I like them both. They they're very similar. Right. And, and it's not it's no it's no you know surprise that Gandalf said that Frodo was the best Hobbit in the Shire and that he entrusts the world on Frodo. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he trusts him with everything. Right. <laughs> And that and it's amazing. He's a he's yeah. a good ch- judge of character. He's right. very discerning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a good time. We've kind of started bringing Pippin in, um, mm-hmm. and and so I think it's probably a good time to talk about him. I would say so. I mean, I'll start on this one, and okay. I I really see like this chapter for Pippin is him waking up because mm-hmm. he's he's kind of been the whole way. We've commented on it of how. He's very aloof. He doesn't know the maps. He doesn't know what's going on, right? And even at the beginning, as they're entering the hall, Gandalf's advising Pippin not to speak of Aragorn, and mm-hmm. right. And he, he's. I just gotta read this. It is scarcely wise when bringing the news of the death of his heir to a mighty lord to speak over much of the coming of one who will, if he comes, claim the kingship. <laughs> Is that enough of reason? And Pippin says, "Kingship." Amazed, <laughs> and so you you spoke of it earlier. But it's like that's the Pippin that we've had of this Hobbit who is kind of along for the, like he's not like he's a part of it, and his character matters. But in in some sense, is along for the ride up until this point. And I kind of marked like we see we see a big change. And I kind of see it in that moment of the battle of wills between um, between Gandalf and Denethor. So to kind of catch us up, they walk into the hall. Um, there's um, there's some pleasantries, uh, you know, to go through, and um, as there's back and forth. But basically, uh, they're looking at each other, and this is from Pippin's perspective. Denethor looked indeed much more like a great wizard than Gandalf did, more kingly, beautiful, and powerful, and older. Yet by a sense other than sight, Pippin perceived that Gandalf had the greater power and the deeper wisdom and a majesty that was veiled, and he was older, far older. How much older, he wondered, and then he thought how odd it was that he had never thought about it before. You know, he said Treebeard had said something about wizards, but then he had not thought of Gandalf as one of them. What was Gandalf? In what far time and place did he come into the world? And when would he leave it? 
And then his musings broke off, and he saw that Denethor and Gandalf still looked each other in the eye, as if reading the other's mind. But it was Denethor who first withdrew his gaze. And so, I, I know it's a little bit of a long section, but I read it because it's like, I think for Pippin, like this is the this is the glass-breaking moment. Because mm-hmm. he's been with Gandalf, he's known Gandalf since he was very small. And he's mm-hmm. he's been on he's been around him like you mentioned he's seen him go toe to toe with the Balrog, to mm-hmm. you know engage with the Council of Elrond to engage with Theoden, you know to talk with Saruman um, at the Tower, and only now in the presence of Denethor in this battle of wills is he saying who is this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I think it's it's kind of this and I think I think in many people I, I know this for me is like there there are moments in life where something happens um and like it opens your eyes to mm-hmm. right to a situation and I think we see that with Pippin and it's and it's um you know Pippin sees that and and then he performs you know, he performs admirably in the presence of the steward mm-hmm. um, because I think he's he's realized the the seriousness and the um, the solemnness, but and the depth of the situation. And he just mm-hmm. hasn't to this point. And like this is his moment to come alive. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then we see it right. His I think as he interacts with Baragond and then later with uh, Burgil, y- you see him really grow in confidence and manner of speech Mm -hmm. that he hasn't exhibited at any point before this. So I rambled on for a while there. So no, I think, I think it's really good. I think what happens is that Pippin becomes a confident man of Gondor Mm -hmm. essentially. And, and that's going to play in large. That's going to, that's going to be instrumental in saving the Shire eventually is that, Mm -hmm. that Pippin grows here and he, he grows in lordliness. And I think he needed to see the world. He needed to realize that he had been traveling with the King, for all mm-hmm. these months, mm-hmm. and that he he didn't knew that because he was being dense, right? Yeah. He was he was too concerned with his own thing, like you know, with throwing rocks in Moria and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And he didn't realize that Gandalf defeated a demon, you know. Right. And and so when we come back to it, I think what Tolkien does, and and this is what I picked on with Pippin, I think he does something really beautiful with Pippin, and I think what he does is that he shows that Pippin's true love. And virtue and character is what makes him a satisfactory, like it, it's what threads the needle for him with Denethor because Pippin truly did love Boromir and he was truly grateful for him mm-hmm. and he was in awe of Boromir's prowess that saved him and Mary. And so it's mm-hmm. easy, it's easy for him in a way to give Denethor what he wants as far as his grief goes because it's way different from Faramir's questioning of Frodo which Frodo was dancing and having a hard time talking about Boromir because his his carry away from Boromir was entirely different than Pippin's because mm-hmm. what Pippin saw was Boromir fighting the orcs by himself so that they could get away and get space and getting shot up with arrows, right. you know, with darts and dying and slaying these orcs and standing. And it, he sees basically the, the hero, mm-hmm. and that's what he tells Denethor, right, yeah. is that it took... It took hordes of them, mm-hmm. and and so at the end, he's overcome with grief for Boromir 
and with sympathy and I think compassion for Denethor. And so he, what, what he does is he's moved to offer Denethor his sword. Mm-hmm. And he says, like he used, and, and it's, it's commented again with Pippin, which we would have said that Pippin was the least of the four, as far mm-hmm. as this goes, is that he wows Denethor with his courtesy, mm-hmm. right? Because because Denethor says whatever you know, whatever the hobbits are, they're they're courteous people, mm-hmm. right? They have fair speech, and and Pippin Pippin does grow up, and he makes a manly decision to say, "Hey, I owe my life to your son who died, and mm-hmm. so you have my life." Yep. And, and Gandalf comments on that, and he says, "You know, like a generous deed should not be checked by cold counsel," mm-hmm. and and yep. so. Pippin, Pippin's true-hearted, and it's mm-hmm. fun to be able to get to brag on him. Yep. But also that he's the eyes through which we see most of this civilization in the chapter. That that Pippin, in a lot of ways, is kind of our narrator. Yep. In the right. in this chapter, and and I think his eyes are full of seeing two things, right? The awe and the majesty, but also the sadness and the melancholy, mm-hmm. and and that's going to be something that he grapples with and goes through. Right. And so that's that's the, I think I think that's what I've got for him, and yep. he, you know, he helps us out, and so now the one I've longed, <laughs> long wanted to talk about, yeah, um, been waiting patiently for it because Denethor is extremely interesting, and we, yeah. we'll get more of him, and we get, it, here we start with maybe our best picture of him, right, where because Denethor's in decay just like his city, mm-hmm. right, and I think that's obvious is yep. that we see a man who now he's had a precipitating event. Yeah. Where he's full of grief, and we already know from, you know, we know from the choices of Master Samwise that that the professor doesn't see grief in itself as being any kind of decaying force. He sees that as a good thing. But Denethor, right. but Denethor has decisions to make, and he also has another voice in his ear, and and he's low because he did a really dangerous thing, and yeah. a thing that always returns bitterness in a family. And that is, is that he showed partiality and favoritism towards his son Boromir, and mm-hmm. that is a poison in the family. And I think it's poisoned Denethor's heart too. It's mm-hmm. a it's a wicked thing to do. And Denethor's yeah. great in power and knowledge and long term wisdom that's learned from his history, mm-hmm. but he he fails. He, he fails on this basic thing that great men have failed in before him. Mm-hmm. And and I think it colors this whole chapter. And we're going to see it come into its ugly, you know, blossom as Denethor plays out. But this is kind of our intro, right? He's high in power. He yep. is the one who is holding Mordor back. Right. <laughs> right? He, he has protected all the lands behind him mm-hmm. with his readiness and with his arts and his skills he is in many ways he has been the one who is steward in the kingdom and has been the bulwark against evil for all of those lands behind him so it's good to talk about that mhm yeah he's done a lot of good right yeah i think um you know there's i i think he's um you know he's mobilized his military well right obviously boromir was a, was a great captain he speaks it uh, bergond informs us that Osgiliath had fallen, and Denethor, in his younger days, with Boromir as his captain, had retaken the West as an outpost, you know, for the city. Uh, and that's, you know, that was taken by, 
the fell riders, as we learn. So that's no small thing. You know, we know that Faramir's been sent out in, um, you know, for some purpose. Uh, we, we know that he's essentially, I think, monitoring the crossroads is what I would say that that purpose is. And to assault the Herodrim as they, you know, or the Eastern men as they come through and they're successful in that. But, you know, I think, too, part of that, too, is maintaining the relationships with the fiefdoms. I think that, right, when when we have this section where all of the outlying cities are sending contingents of men to protect the city, you know, they say that there's not as many as they had hoped for because the assault is going to come from all directions. And yet, I think the good, great, like, they come as, as heroes, and that I think you have to give Denethor the credit for that, right? He's maintained a, um, I think, a judicious relationship with the surrounding territories that they don't balk at coming to the service of the steward, mm-hmm. and and in fact they're greeted with cheers um, by the people in the city, mm-hmm. and and so right, and so you see like there's these little no- nods to his. Um, I think his governance of the city while he's right, while he has failed in partiality to his family, while he, Mm -hmm. as we see, he's given way to grief and despair and we'll see that unfold more and more. Um, Mm -hmm. His, his governance has, I think is to be revered that Mm -hmm. his power of wisdom, his foresight, his ability to read the enemy, um, Mm -hmm. to, uh, to read the situation has been, yeah, has been they trust him is for yeah, sure right well and even Rohan right Rohan comes to the call immediately mm-hmm. and and that has to be put on Denethor's shoulders that he's mm-hmm. treated them well and and we hear yep. that from we hear that from Boromir right Boromir is going to be a conduit when when they talk of Rohan taking the you know sending steeds to the enemy Boromir won't bear it no he said they would not do that yeah <laughs> Yeah, and he was right because mm-hmm. they they had friendship and and yep. they helped each other. I think I think there's there's probably two parts of this that really show the cracks mm-hmm. in Denethor and that things are happening. And I'm mm-hmm. I know you have the one of, I'm gonna read the other one. It's really short. When okay. when Pippin comes in, it says, "Now tell me your tale, my liege," said Denethor, half kindly, half mockingly. For the words of one whom my son so befriended will be welcome indeed. I think, you know, we recall Faramir saying that he wouldn't even use falsehood to ensnare an orc, right? We, but we have seen a character already who questions and is mocking with people, and that character mm-hmm. is Saruman. Yep. And so what we see right away is that Denethor has, at least to some extent, bought into the lie of of what constitutes power and dignity from Sauron. And I know you'll expound on that because it's the next line I know is one that, that you had picked up mm-hmm. about the way he looks. But but what we see right now is that Denethor has given into this idea that why would he look at Pippin mockingly? Because mm-hmm. he's judging based on what he sees what he sees on the outside. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, and I think I think it's worthwhile here before I go is to expound on the comparisons with Saruman. Because I think you had when we were talking earlier, um, you kind of came up with some comparisons that I think a lot make a lot more sense. And I think there's two things in there that Saruman is much more important to this story than you, than you would, I think at first glance take because Mm -hmm. he doesn't have a big page count, but, Mm -hmm. but his tendrils reach everywhere. 
And I think he's a type. Like I do think there, there's there's typology in play with him. Mm-hmm. That right. That <clears throat> we talked about it as the you know as the the high minded academician <laughs> and mm-hmm. as I restruggle with that word. But right. <laughs> but but there's like there's a type of what happens in the solitary proudness, you know, mm-hmm. of of the ebony tower. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so Denethor lives in the ivory tower. Right. And, mm-hmm. and what Denethor, like what, what you just said is that he's not there yet. Right. That he does have these, these men who come to his aid, but he's going to have a, he, he's starting to mock and he's starting to, he's starting to accept the lies of the enemy about what constitutes um, power and dignity. So for him to mock Pippin is mm-hmm. low. That's that's a base thing for him to do. That's something that his son would not engage in. His right. very questioning of Pippin here is a low and base thing to do because his son Faramir went straight at Frodo mm-hmm. instead of at Sam. It would have been e- and Faramir knew this. It would have been easier for Faramir to get the information he wanted out of Sam, who eventually right. cracked anyway when Faramir <laughs> wasn't even talking to him. Right. But but Denethor here attacks the weakest link. And what yeah. Faramir would have done in this position is ask all of his questions of Gandalf. Right. Right. And he would have asked them straight up because yeah. he would have tried to find out what he wanted to know. But Denethor, Denethor has deemed himself to, you know, in, in some ways it's kind of like the voice of Saruman going on here. Yeah. Is that he wants to he wants to come in with this story that plays at the heartstrings mm-hmm. so that he can extract information like a craven man. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that this continues. And at some point he does just lock himself up mm-hmm. in the top of the ivory tower and looks for, looks for answers to his problems by himself. But right. that's not in this chapter because right. he is going to say in this chapter, he says pride would be folly that disdained help and counsel at need yep. to Gandalf. Right. But then he gives himself away. He says, you deal out gifts according to your own designs. Yet the Lord of Gondor is not to be made the tool of other men's purposes, mm-hmm. however worthy. Yeah. And to him, there is no purpose higher in the world as it now stands than the good of Gondor. Yeah. That's true. That's true, but he doesn't understand that Gandalf is also for the good of Gondor. And that Gandalf's not trying to take over his throne. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so he's he's giving into this idea. The, the idea of Saruman was that Gandalf was trying to take his seat in his scepter. Mm-hmm. And he right. was wrong about that. Right. And Denethor falls into the same thing where the friends start to distrust each other. Yeah. That's when the enemy is laughing. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that's what Sauron has done. Yeah, and where Denethor will never, Denethor, it would be against his nature to actually make an alliance with Sauron and right. help him. That's right. not going to happen. Yeah, but his fall is a different way because yeah. he gives in in a different way. Right, and I think it is. It's it's to the lack. Look, we've we've commented on it so many times. Is that like the council of the wise seeks counsel, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Denethor's still there. Right, he's still holding a council of his captains, and Gandalf mm-hmm. is invited, and he knows Gandalf well, um, mm-hmm. and so he he hasn't given full way yet, you know, and mm-hmm. we we know he will, um, mm-hmm. but 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 I think it's important too that his fall is like we're I think Tolkien's setting us up for that mm-hmm. fall with some of the some of these chinks in the armor where mm-hmm. like he's made it he's made it extremely plain that the great the great men of Middle Earth seek counsel when it's needed, and they mm-hmm. and they trust in their counsel. They don't trust in their own power. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, and so I think. Um, do you have anything else to, 
to no, add there. I'll let you, I'll let yeah. you have the last word on Denethor. Yeah, so the last... we're getting there time-wise. We don't want a mega, mega edition. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be quick. The, the thing I noticed in this, um, and it's actually uh, from the perspective of Pippin, but um, it says Pippin, and he, this is after he's undergone. So basically Denethor says, I want an hour of questioning with the Hobbit. And so they do that, and it says... Pippin never forgot that hour in the great hall under the piercing eye of the Lord of Gondor, stabbed ever and anon by his shrewd questions. And so um, I think I, I latched on to the language there because um, we've encountered kingly men uh, all over the place um, and, and shrewd men, right, from Gildor early on to Tom uh, in the Old Forest to Elrond, Galadriel, Obviously, Gandalf and Aragorn and Faramir, and all all shrewd, wise people who um, who seek counsel, who question pretty, I'd say, question ferociously. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't ever get the language of right being set under the piercing eye of that person. Mm-hmm. And so, I do think I think that um, I think that Tolkien's trying to clue us in to the attitude. Of Gondor, and I think you you hit on part of it with the mocking nature. Like you get this Saruman string that's in in Denethor, and I think here you get a Sauron stream that's in in Denethor. And I think it's I think it's a leading toward um, you know toward domination. Like his piercing eye is attempting to crush Pippin for information, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to seeking it for the good of his of his people which is what Faramir does, right? Faramir mm-hmm. questions to choose wisely for the good of the world and comes to the understanding that Frodo's quest is for the good of the world. Mm-hmm. Not not explicitly for the good of Gondor, but for the good of all. Mm-hmm. And Denethor yep. does not have that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. I yeah. think you're right on it. Do you remember where we're, where we're at on Thought to Rome with? <laughs> so... I think choices of Master Samwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just, you know, new book. We'll just sort it out. Just start, start over. Me first. You want to call? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh man. Um, you'd think you'd it'd be easy to pick out of thirty whatever pages <laughs> of, of text. Um, no, I think I think the thing that really. Yeah, and I'll probably I may undercut you. That's the joy of going first. Uh, <laughs> the part that I so I underlined a lot of things in this chapter, and I circled one. And the one thing I chapter I I circled in the chapter was the thing that you talked about is when Gandalf laughs at mm-hmm. the um, you know, at the I think at Pippin's hardship, right? At his questioning of himself, and and I think that. As we right, as we partner together, as as people go through hardships together, um, or in whatever reason, um, as we endure hardships in all manner of phases of life and in in many different severities, and yet, um, I think the mirth of a friend can bring a lot of peace and comfort, um, and bring even bring maturity, right? Because the settling of Pippin sends him out to make friends in the city mm-hmm. um whereas it would have been easy I, I i think it would have been easy for him to wallow in the self-doubt of the questioning of denethor 
right? But mm-hmm. I think the laughter of Gandalf gives Pippin freedom, right, and comfort, and and the encouraging word you did well, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that matters too. But <laughs> I think I think laughter is is the powerful scene, and to me it was like the most stunning scene in the whole thing in a in a in a long chapter of stunning things. <laughs> It was the one that stands out. So yeah. So laugh. Well, you, you, you made my decision easy because okay. I was, I was like, so there was another one I'd been toying with, and I was ninety percent there until I was going to switch the to that one. But now, <laughs> right. now I'm back. So okay. I think it is this one, and and I think like it speaks to a, a certain camp of Christians that we're both in, and and I think that is like here's what I think we do is our super doctrinally serious reform camp. I think what we like to do is check deeds with cold counsel. Like mm-hmm. I, I think what I think what we like to do is go, hey there, like calm yourself down a little bit. Don't you remember that these are the things that we're supposed to do before we do this and all that. And I and I think that we can really quench um someone's someone's boldness and their and their zealousness to do good. And, and so the quote really jumped out of me that that he said Gandalf says um, I don't know what put it into your head or your heart to do that meaning offer a sword to Denthor he mm-hmm. said but it was well done um, I did not hinder it for generous deeds should not be checked by cold counsel mm-hmm. it's it's easy for us to poo poo good deeds because maybe that person doesn't have exactly the right you know, system of orthodoxies that we believe in, or maybe that person is a little bit rough around the edges on some of their, you know, some of the things they say or some of the things they post on social media. Mm-hmm. But I think I think we should know what time it is and and be a lot more willing to encourage people in the good deeds that they do, especially good deeds that are generous to to help people when they're sick, to to bring aid, to pray, to say an encouraging word. And I think I've been guilty too many times of maybe feeling internally like, yeah, I mean, you don't really know what you're talking about with that. And I, I think that is cold counsel mm-hmm. that's trying to check a generous deed. Mm-hmm. So a lot less of that. Like, mm-hmm. we can talk about counsel, but let's not check the generous deed. Yeah. So that's the that's the thought to roam with. And there we go. One of the longer episodes, but it is, I mean, I've always thought this was the longest chapter. I can't prove that empirically, but it is a long chapter. Um, have to do a, a, a chat well, GBT word count. <laughs> that's right. We'll have to do that at some point. But we're going to, you know, next week we get to switch gears and um, we get introduced to a really fascinating band of guys called the Great Company. So until then, keep reading Lord of the Rings and join us next week on the Way Lesser Inklings. Yeah.